Hello and welcome to the Growmark Podcast. Thank you for tuning in this morning. I'm Sam Spence, joined by Bruce Weatherly, who is the Forage and Turf Product Manager here at Growmark and with the Growmark Agronomy Division. I'm filling in for Matt Wetterston this morning, and I just wanted to continue some conversations that he and Amy Bradford had shared a few weeks ago when they spoke with us about Ag Week, sharing various ways to get involved across the Growmark system and even at the FS member companies. Ag Day was March 21st, and Bruce spoke with a group of us here at the IAA family of companies all about pollinators. Very important discussion that we shared that day, and how fitting because it was Ag Day. So, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I wanted to open up a little bit about Bruce Weatherly. For those of you who might not have had the opportunity to get to meet him, he does work in our Growmark division of agronomy. Um, Bruce, you know, if you could share a little bit about some of your system experience and, and even beyond that in the agricultural industry. Well, good morning. I've uh, had the fortune of being with Growmark for 31 years. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's been that long because I've enjoyed every single day of being part of the seed division. I've been very lucky to be connected with seed from day one. Um, I started out at a local member cooperative up in uh, Cambridge, Illinois, um, who's now called Gold Star. Uh, I worked strictly in seed the entire time I was with member company. I've held various jobs through Growmark, and now I'm very fortunate to get to be the uh, Forage and Turf product manager. Uh, prior to my Growmark years, I farmed for almost 10 years. I farmed with my dad and my brother-in-law. We managed about 1,700 acres, a very diverse farming operation. We raised uh, feeder pigs. We had a cow-calf operation, and uh, we had corn and beans and alfalfa. So I, I really got my appetite wet for seed back growing up. I grew up on a farm also, my, although my father did not farm. He was in the uh, farm credit system. Um, so I've always been around agriculture, and, and it's just kind of a natural fit to flow into member company. And I was very fortunate to get hired at our local co-op when I was looking for a job. And that's great, Bruce. Thank you. And so obviously having that background, you really can understand and appreciate the importance of pollinators. So I'm wondering if that's kind of why they plugged you in for the Ag Day discussion that you shared with us. Now, a few facts that I kind of wanted to run through with everybody. Um, for those of us, we're going to take a trip back to grade school biology. And pollen moved from flower to flower, really important in the fertilization process, vital to ecosystem health to show off a healthy landscape, and especially vital when it comes to the ag industry. So when we look at that information, and even knowing that about 75% of flowering plants rely on animals and insects to pollinate, what concerns do we have within the agricultural community about the po pollinator population numbers that we might be hearing about today? I know you spoke a little bit about some of that information, Bruce. Well, right now, if you look at the importance of, uh, of the pollinators to our business, 90% of all of our uh, plant species are pollinated by some kind of animal movement, whether that be honeybees, whether that be bats, whether it be small mammals, but it's very, very important. And, and what most people don't understand that they're really, we talk about honeybees, but there are over 200 different species of pollinators in the world that take care of all of this. So uh, what we try to do is, is educate people on the fact that us in agriculture are not anti-honeybees. We are anti-bees or anti-pollinators. Without pollination, our business doesn't exist. Uh, we could take a look at 
just the alfalfa business. When, when we look at our own, my own industry, where we sell, you know, half a million pounds of alfalfa seed a year, um, honeybees are not as important in alfalfa production as a little tiny bee that we call cutter bees. Cutter bees are, are I, I said a little tiny bee in the scope of things, but they're about twice the size of an average honeybee. They're a little more durable. I think uh, in my uh, talk here a couple weeks ago, I used it. They're the rugged, they're the cowboy bee because the, the way the alfalfa plant is pollinated, they get banged around quite a bit when they go in to get the uh, pollen out. And the cutter bee has been uh, evolved to take that bang in the head, uh, to, to go in there and, and get that pollen out and move it. And uh, they're so important in that business right now that uh, we've had to look outside the U.S. to find a good uh, population of cutter bees. A lot of our bees come out of Canada right now. They're a, uh, a one, one operation bee. They come from larvae and go out and take care of the alfalfa and then go back in and go back into that stage again and are, are kept over the winter. So, uh, and there was something really interesting that you had shared during that lunch and learn about this little cowboy bee is, is how I kind of remembered it. But with the cutter bee, what is some of the process that um, a few folks that are out west working with this, what are they doing? I think we talked about some of the boxes, maybe like little styrofoam slats that they live in, and even, even down to the science of temperature-controlled rooms and, and spaces. Could you share a little bit more about that, Bruce? Right. When we think of, when we think of bees, every, everybody has in their mind a picture of a hive, a box, a square box that has thousands of bees in it. Well, when we talk about cutter bees, we're talking about a very solitary animal they don't live in colonies. They don't need colonies. They don't need fellowship. They just need to do what they do. So each one of these little bees lives in an individual little nest. And that nest is all he knows from the time he is develops until the time he goes out, pollinates the alfalfa, runs his life cycle, and goes back to that same little nest. They're like a little... Uh, bigger than a pencil tube that they actually live their whole life in. And they're called cutter bees because they'll actually bring leaf material back into that little tube to make a nest out of. It, it's amazing to watch them because they don't know each other. They don't associate with each other. They just do their job and come back into the little tubes. Those tubes then, once they're, they're back in and pupated, they are stored in the non-growing season in very, very controlled environments, humidity, temperature, to where uh, our own company has, uh, we've been through their process and actually has a gentleman on 24 seven whose phone, his house phone, his computer is all hooked up to monitoring. If these things change by a degree, all of his bells and whistles go off. That's how important cutter bees are to our industry. You gotta remember when you look at a cutter bee that they'll go out They'll pollinate the alfalfa, they'll come back. And what we're looking for is someplace around an 80 to 100% return. And it's really important to get, and when I talk return, that means viable uh, cutter bees for the next year. So when they're, when they're kept in that larva, a lot of times the U.S. bees will only produce 40 or 60. They, they're more prone to disease. So that's why we've looked for Canada for these uh, very strong cutter bees. And that's really fascinating. And, and going off of, you know, we kind of spoke uh, about alfalfa here, um, but 
many of us may not even realize how many products, how many um, types of foods we come in contact with, uh, you know, even down to having a glass of milk on the table. Could you share a little bit about that, Bruce, with us? Yeah, I always open my, my meeting with uh, why should you care? Why should you care as a consumer what happens out here? A and on my list, I have things like grapes and peppers and melons and avocados. Does anybody think of avocados? Or raspberries but the one that always sticks out is milk and so I asked the question why does milk belong on this list everybody thinks milk well that's that shouldn't be on there but think back think back to the life cycle of that or where that milk comes from it comes from a cow from an animal what's that animal do it eats alfalfa where's the alfalfa come from bees so without a bee you have no alfalfa without alfalfa or grass you have no milk so really the bee is important to increase the population of all of these crops I'm not saying we couldn't have alfalfa or we couldn't have avocados without bees but you'd have nowhere near the harvest nowhere near the the fruit or the or the uh, production that you get out of adding bees to the equation so don't take me wrong if, if bees would go away tomorrow we'd still have an avocado it may be the size of a grape, and there may only be one of a plant, but we'd still have an avocado. So bees are very important to adding produce, adding volume to what the plants are going to produce every year. So That's really great. And you had even shared, you, you went into a few other numbers. Um, you know, I always love listening to some of those fast facts. And so you had shared a little bit about some of the efforts around um, some of the pollinators and, and even in the industry. When you look at the food industry and, and the business with that and just the numbers that are coming in, you know, could you share a little bit more about those facts with some of our listeners? Well, let's look at the honeybee, for example. Honeybees account for 80% of all insect crop pollination. Think about that. 80% of all insect pollination is accounted for through honeybees. And look at the honeybee itself is producing over $100 million in honey and beeswax, let alone its $10 billion to agricultural crops. So you go, why is this important? Well, look at it. When you go down, look what it, most people have had, have an almond, have had one, know what it is. But do you realize that 80% of the world pop or 80% of the crop comes from California and it requires over half of all honeybees in the U.S. to pollinate that crop? And the biggest thing that stands out is without honeybees, there would be no almond crop. It's one of the few crops that we can honestly say is 100% dependent on insect or honeybee pollination. It, it just amazes me. A and we talked about some of these other crops, apples, avocados, blueberries, cherries. Apples would not be what they are today, what you think of it, because they need cross-pollination. They, they need honeybees to make fruit. Yeah, we'd have an apple. Again, I would tell you it'd probably be the size of a grape. It probably wouldn't have very good flavor because you don't get the intermingle of the different pollens with it. The avocados, blueberries, cherries, cucumbers, onions, think about these. All are dependent on it. Some are 80, 90% dependent on honeybees for 
the fruit or for the vegetable. They just would not produce what they do without a honeybee. Bruce, they really picked someone great to come and speak with us on Lunch and Learn Day, um, you know, for Ag Day during Ag Week, and I really appreciate your time. Could you share a little bit with us about some of the efforts um, partnering with Gromark, the Gromark system, um, even Illinois agriculture in the classroom? You know, what are some ways that we are getting out there to educate everyone, share this information with, with others who may not be as involved with the ag business like we are? Well, Gromark has kicked off a, a series of uh, sustainability initiatives. And when it comes to agronomy, one of our sustainability initiatives is the Endure program, which is a wildflower pollinator program. We kicked that off a, a year ago with our members. We've sent all of our members a 10-pound package with the instructions on how to plant it, where to plant it, how to take care of it, in order to bring light to the fact that we are, honeybees are important to our industry. And, and this little 2,000-acre plot at one of our members, or 2,000-square-foot plot, I'm sorry, at one of our members will show that, will highlight the cause of honeybees and how important they are to our industry. So we've also moved that out to FFA chapters and others inside school, and have kicked that Endure program, just made it a little bigger. We even have some of our own Gromark employees who have gotten in on it and taken a pound home and, done, and have done their own little plots. So we think it's really important just to highlight the importance of honeybees around and, and that it is important to agriculture. And these plots, can they be tracked? I thought I had seen somewhere online that, you know, we were sharing information on where maybe some of these plants were being, um, or these seeds were being planted. Is there a way to kind of connect and see, you know, some of the effort and, and maybe even see that grow again this spring? I think through uh, Amy Bradford's group, some of these, they are being connected, connecting the dots, as you asked. We do know where those plots are. You can drive up and down the roads, and if you can find an FS sign, you usually find a huge sign that says Endure Pollinator Program. Um, that's part of the program is to make sure you don't hide them. We want them very visible to the public. Um, and if you're as a, an employee or FFA chapter, we make a nice large sign available to you to use on your plots. But then we try to follow up and make sure they're taking care of them because it doesn't do any good just to throw the seed out. So we give them instructions how to take care of it the second year, maybe a little tricks of the trade, what they can do. But, you know, pollination really all starts at home. If, if you want to get involved in this, take a pot. Take one 10-inch pot at home. Put several different species in there so you have flowering all summer. And set it in your backyard and then sit back and watch. See who it draws to it. I love sitting out back and just watching the butterflies and the bees and the bumblebees. I mean, you can see all of these come just into a very small area if you give it a lot of different maturity zones so it just keeps coming back and, and you have flowering all summer for them. And that's really exciting. One of the small packets that we got to take back to our desks with us, a little Endure packet, a little paper bee that has some of these wildflower seeds, including pollinator-friendly varieties. And so I actually planted one at my desk. I'm watching a tiny little sprout come up now. It's kind of exciting. And uh, for those of you who are on social media and wi might want to connect with me, um, I'd be more than happy to share some of the progress with you. Um, but this Endure program, these little packets are really fascinating because it is a system-wide effort. 
um, we're sharing this with a lot of different people. In fact, I think you gave a, a stack to uh, some of these moms who were involved with Girl Scouts. They wanted to be able to kind of share that information and grow. So, you know, what a really cool way to even extend from your discussion during Ag Day um, out into the community. That's, that's really fascinating. Well, Bruce, I want to thank you again for your time today to speak with us about the pollinators, um, even Endure program, and even just share a little bit about your background here with the seed division. Um, is there anything else you might want to share with us uh, about your presentation about Endure or even some of the efforts that we're looking into with pollinators? I would just say as, a, as we go forward, uh, people need to, when you're out on the internet, when you're out reading about pollinators, uh, reading about information on on different things make sure you realize the source behind the the website or the site that you're reading uh, I send people to a lot of places that have a edu extension behind them because I know those are universities um, I know the data where it's coming from I know what it is and it's not narrowly focused it's usually broad spectrum so I say when you go out and look for pollinator information just make sure you know what you're looking at see who's behind it and make sure the focus is is good for everybody not just a single person great advice on researching thank you so much again bruce we really appreciate your time thank you again for tuning in to this week's GrowMark podcast if you're curious how to find the podcast you can actually search for the podbean app apple users you can find this through the apple store and android users through google play we look forward to talking with you again soon